It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, June 17th, 2021. I'm Claudio Mendoza, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Power system managers are asking users to conserve power today and this evening as the heat wave continues. The California report looks into it before diving into a story about the Port of Los Angeles hitting a cargo record as trade surges. After a brief look at regional news and weather, we'll hear Hospitality House's needs of the week followed by Bravehearts. This week, Betty Louise continues her conversation with Interfaith Food Ministries Executive Director Phil Alonzo and Development Director Naomi Cabral. We close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The operator of the state's power grid is urging Californians to conserve energy later today and this evening as the first major heat wave of the year continues. My California Report co-host Lily Jamali joins me now with more. Hey, Lily. Hi, Saul. Well, this flex alert, as they're called, is the first of the year. The California Independent System Operator, or CAISO, says they're doing this out of an abundance of caution, asking everyone to conserve power between 5 and 10 o'clock tonight. That means setting your thermostat to 78 degrees or higher, turning off unnecessary lights and not using appliances. And they're also asking everyone to cool their homes ahead of time, before 5 p.m. when officials are most worried about running out of power and calling for those rolling blackouts. That's something that they absolutely do not want to have to do after last August when 800,000 Californians went without power over two very hot evenings. This flex alert comes after a lot of fanfare over all that California has done to avoid rolling blackouts again from securing power ahead of time, a lot of it from fossil fuel burning sources, to getting more battery storage online. Bottom line, officials at Kaiso don't think this heat wave will be as bad as last August's. The odds of rolling blackouts are pretty low, but they're monitoring things in case those projections need to change. Saul? All right. Thanks, Lily. That's the California Report's Lily Jamali. Turning now to the economy, what's one big sign that things are starting to rebound both here in California and across the globe economically? Well, business is booming at the Port of Los Angeles. Gene Soroka, executive director of the port, says more than a million containers went through the facility in May, setting a record for any port in the Western Hemisphere. That's as big as we've ever gotten. Uh, a million container units outpaces uh, the traditional volume of cargo by double-digit fashion. In fact, 900,000 units, which is what we've been averaging for the past 11 months, would go around the world twice and halfway back. Now, most of that traffic has come from imports, as exports are still hampered by trade policies with other countries like China. And with the state and country starting to fully reopen, Soroka says the next challenge for the port is helping to improve all the supply chain problems businesses have had. It's about the smaller family and mid-sized businesses that will now be opening more. We're going to need restaurant supplies. We'll need all of the products that go uh, along the lines of what we're going to buy when we go out to the shops uh, on the weekends, etc. So working with these types of importers and exporters is going to be crucial to the reopening capabilities of the country, the state, and our city here in Los Angeles. 
And Soroka says the Port of L.A. is just starting to move into the busiest part of the year. And he doesn't expect this import surge, which started last summer, to level off until sometime in 2022. Let's turn to immigration. In Mendota, a small farm worker community in Fresno County, about half of the city's 11,000 residents were born in Mexico or Central America. Now the city is preparing for more Central American migrant youth to arrive in the coming months because of changes in U.S. migrant detention policies. Valley Public Radio's Mari Bolaños has more. Marvin Cornejo left the small village of Azacualpa in El Salvador at just 16 years old. His goal was to reunite with his father in Mendota, population 11,000. 2016, um, I came here. I got a job in the fields with my dad. He knew somebody and I was just working now, five years after Cornejo arrived in Mendota, local leaders and advocates are expecting many more Central American youth to be released from federal detention centers to parents or close relatives in the city. There seems to be a surge right now, um, and it kind of ebbs and flows, um, and we expect in the next couple months for that really to increase. That's lawyer Catherine Krasilnikov with Kids in Need of Defense, the only organization in Fresno County that provides free legal services to minors who were in detention facilities. She says many of the unaccompanied kids are fleeing gang or cartel violence in countries like El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. The number of unaccompanied minors in Fresno County jumped from 75 to 112 last month, according to data from the Federal Office of Refugee Resettlement. Krasnokov says it's unclear how many of those kids settled in Mendota, but... We've always had very high numbers in Mendota, um, and that's because the root causes of migration are not going away. They're only being amplified. This past year, as a record number of unaccompanied minors arrived at the southern border, Mendota Unified School District officials said 14 enrolled in local schools, a number that's consistent with previous years. They suspect many more recently arrived youth opted out of online learning. We probably had a lot of 16, 17-year-old kids that came in, but in their mind there's no school. They just started working. That's the school district's director of instructional services, Manuel Bautista, who says whatever the numbers are in the fall, the district is preparing to welcome them. Our goal is to integrate them into core classrooms, is to integrate them into all of our different activities and all of our different opportunities, but understanding that they, they, they also need some extra support. Despite those efforts, Mayor Rolando Castro says he has concerns that there won't be enough housing or agricultural jobs for new residents, especially in the current drought. Will there be anything for them? And, and if they don't find the jobs, what do you do? You know, the town is small. There's not much options and there's not a job. Cornejo acknowledged that youth like him face a lot of challenges adapting to life in Mendota. He says that's why he volunteers to mentor newly arrived minors. For each individual, Cornejo has a message. It is going to be really hard. Please don't give up. It's something Cornejo reminds himself of often. He was granted asylum and is now pursuing a degree in chemistry at Fresno State with the goal of one day becoming a family doctor. For The California Report, I'm Adi Bolaños. And that story is part of the Central Valley News Collaborative. It's supported by the Central Valley Community Foundation with technology and training support from the Microsoft Corporation. 
Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. And Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. And that is the California Report for Thursday, June 17th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. The Union of Grass Valley is reporting today that a man found in a Nevada City residence yesterday is believed to be the victim of a homicide, according to the Nevada County Sheriff's Office. Another man, identified as the primary suspect in the homicide, who was being pursued by authorities in Eureka County, Nevada, has been confirmed to have died of a gunshot wound later in the day after a chase, although it's not known whether he was killed by law enforcement or he took his own life. Lieutenant Sean Scales, saying that sheriff's deputies found the first man's body at a residence on the 13,000 block of Bodie Ridge Road around noon on Wednesday. The sheriff's office had responded to the residence after a request from the Eureka County Sheriff's Office to search the home. It is not known if the victim lived at this particular residence, says Scales. Eureka County, Nevada authorities identified the address after a Wednesday morning vehicle pursuit of the suspect, learning that the license plate was registered to the home on Bodie Ridge Road. Sheriff's deputies and state patrol initiated a pursuit of the subject after he allegedly shot a Nevada transportation worker. The worker was transported to a nearby hospital with non-life-threatening injuries, according to coverage from the Reno Gazette Journal. A search of the Bodie Ridge Road residence was subsequently conducted by Nevada County authorities, at which point they located the homicide victim. Investigators with the California Department of Justice responded a short time later and have been assisting local authorities in their investigation. The identities of the victim and the suspect have not been released, and no further information is available at this time. Governor Gavin Newsom officially proclaimed a state of emergency today due to the intense heat currently blanketing most of California. According to the Sacramento Bee, Newsom's emergency proclamation, among other things, directs air districts to temporarily suspend rules that could prevent power plants from ramping up operations to meet the demand for electricity. The proclamation cites the extreme heat peril facing Californians over the next few days. And now, looking at regional weather, the National Weather Service's excessive heat warning remains in effect until 9 p.m. this Saturday for most of our listening area. In Nevada City and in Grass Valley, tonight will be mostly clear, with a low around 70. Tomorrow will be sunny and very hot, with a high near 102 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight will be mostly clear, with a low around 56. Tomorrow will be sunny, with a high near 88. And for the valley, Woodland and Sacramento, tonight mostly clear, with a low around 70 degrees. Tomorrow will be a scorcher, sunny and hot, with a high near 107 degrees.
Next, let's listen to Hospitality House's Needs of the Week, followed by Bravehearts. This week, Betty Louise continues her conversation with the Interfaith Food Ministries Executive Director, Phil Alonzo, and Development Director, Naomi Cabral. I'm Christina Abkarian, Marketing and Development Specialist at Hospitality House. Hospitality House is a year-round emergency homeless shelter for the general homeless community in Nevada County. And the needs of the shelter for this week are PPE masks and gloves, blankets and sheets twin size, new pillows, bottled water, bras all sizes, women's underwear sizes small, medium and large, men's underwear and boxers sizes medium, large, and extra large, shampoo and conditioner travel size, men's and women's deodorant, travel bags, duffel bags, and backpacks. Please drop off urgent items or mail them to Utah's Place located in Brunswick Basin past the DMV at 1262 Sutton Way in Grass Valley. For a tax receipt, please ring the doorbell and wait for someone to come outside to assist you. We greatly appreciate the community's help. In the words of you to Phillips, if we all stick together, we'll all get what we need. Thank you. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. Hello, everybody. This is Betty Louise, and we're going to be jumping into an excerpt from a recent recording I did with Phil Alonzo and Naomi Cabral. They are both with Interfaith Food Ministry, and they're talking about how they work with the homeless community. Enjoy. And uh, they have to figure out how they're going to get, you know, from point A to B with this food. That could be a challenge for them. I've, I've given a ride to a lady who was out here waiting for hours. I was just concerned that she was going to, her food was going to spoil. And uh, I gave her a ride halfway to where she needed to be. And really, it, it wasn't a big deal. But um, we see people who literally are living in their cars and they're coming in the car that they live in. And the car looks like it's going to, you know, probably going to break down. So they're, they're going out on the limb to get the resources that they need. And so I try to be extra sensitive to that and expedite them and, and help them get what they need and get them on their way. And so it does take a lot of sensitivity and, and patience. And so I try to be there for them in that way. How did they respond when they get their food? What did they do? What do they say? The vast majority of, of responses that I've received are a, a big smile and a thank you and just a genuine making eye contact and just being a, a fellow human being saying thank you for helping me out. And, um, and, and that, 
that right there, I think, is the experience. Another part of why IFM is at an interesting intersection in the community and helps bridge the gap is that's an experience that we allow and provide that our volunteers get to experience and our supporters. And so it's the response uh, on both ends, the, both the giving and the receiving is, is always very positive and can be life-changing on both ends as well. Seeing volunteers really, really shift their thinking and their view. And I've seen the recipients and clients of our services also get to start to develop that trust again and yeah. that someone is out there that cares and and wants to help in a non-judgmental way and just and just accepts me for who I am and provides me with a little bit of assistance. I have a certain young lady who she was you know what one would say homeless for a little while um, her situation was a little bit different she had to leave a issue with her household it wasn't safe for her and her family um, so she had to go to a homeless uh, facility um, where she you know they were housed but it was an in-between transitional place and I have seen her turn her life completely around and she has been through some hardships but she is extremely grateful she is someone who I talk to now I would consider her my friend now because she has been such a great person to see grow mm-hmm. with her family and you know she gets services here and I've seen her go from a place where she was really down on her luck and now she's working it's still a little tough to get back from that kind it's of situation cool. she's just an inspiration to me and so I see immense gratitude come from her just she's a really amazing person so what helped her like get her life together? I would say that she would probably say is um, just uh, the people who have helped. She said she has told me that there's these so many people who have helped and just uh, been compassionate toward her, and especially in Nevada County. And when I get together with her, I just listen to her, and it's great to hear her story. You know, she 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 goes through some rough patches. But um, she always lifts herself up, and I just listen. You know, it's not about me when I when I get together with her because I know that I'm going to be okay, and I just want to make sure she's going to be okay. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, observations from a working poet. Well, it's finally happened. I've become so famous that people in my own town are misquoting me. You might think I'd be pleased about this, since I've been attempting to get my work to wider audiences for years. I am not actually all that pleased. I'm sort of freaked out. When you write a poem, it sits there calmly on the page. If it's accepted into a magazine, the typeface changes and the paper stock. But it's the same poem you wrote, smiling back at you from page 86. Line 5 still says the green length of Argilla Road. Everything is fine. But when you write an essay to be read on the radio, which I do every week, it's not so simple. Even though you've written the darn thing, typed it into your computer, 
posted it on your website where people can read it, that act of speaking the words into thin air so they can float into someone's ear changes everything. A friend was eating out last week and heard a voice say, well, Molly Fisk thinks people who get married should have lobotomies. Hold on. I do not think that. What I said on the radio was that in order to live happily ever after, with no strife, for 30 years, you might need a lobotomy. Another friend emailed me someone's comment, which described him planting corn seedlings in his garden. He said, I think Molly's mistaken that because organic corn is only five years for a dollar in the store, we shouldn't bother to plant our own. Wait! Help! I didn't say that. My dental hygienist said it, and I quoted her. And maybe she was just momentarily irritated at how few ears she got for all that effort. I didn't realize how quickly my words could turn in directions I wasn't intending them to go. Now I'm in that place I suppose many writers get to, where they have to let go of what they've said. Like college-aged children, my ideas and sentences have lives of their own, and I can't call them back. This is something I never thought of when I was imagining being famous. I like the idea that my name might echo through crepe parlors and cornfields, but I'm aghast that what trails behind it could have nothing to do with me. What if the Homegrown Corn Anti-Defamation League catches wind of this and comes knocking? I don't want to be sued. I want to be loved. Plus, I have serious things to say, and I want people to hear me. Once my friend Jane, trying to help me calm down before giving a speech, said, Oh, don't worry. No one will remember what you say. It's that you're brave enough to get up on stage that matters. Well, good grief. Why am I spending all this time crafting sentences when they don't matter? I might as well be reading from the phone book in Norwegian. The rapscallion in me wants to pursue this misquoting and see what happens. Did you realize Molly Fisk thinks everyone who plants corn should have lobotomies? How did she get to be so antagonistic to small farmers, do you think? Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And that does it for our newscast tonight. For their generous support, KVMR would like to thank Chan Family Optometry. Vision Care Team and Dr. Tiffany Chan provide general optometry services, testing, screening, and offering glasses, contacts, and LASIK. Located on Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley, information, chanfamilyoptometry.com. And Simply Country. Family-owned farm and feed stores since 1964. Carrying organic feed, alfalfa, and supplies, plus food for farm animals and pets, from peacocks to horses. In Grass Valley and Penn Valley, simplycountry.net.
coming up at 6.30, Mark Cunaberti brings us Money Matters. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza, urging you to drink plenty of water and have a great evening.